You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hi, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. You know, when I became a single mom, I think the first thing I felt most overwhelmed by was my kids and sort of this overwhelming sense that they were no longer in a family structure that I had intended for them. I became so overwhelmed by the sense that this was not my plan. This was not the way that I had intended things to go for them. And all the while I was concerned, are they doomed? I guess doomed is kind of a strong word, but you know what I'm talking about. It's when you worry about what your kid's future is going to look like now that this is part of their story. I think all of us become aware now of this open door of influence in our kids' lives by the fact virtually that we just can't even necessarily have say all of the time now over what another parent might bring into their lives or other people that might enter their lives from that person, and that can cause a lot of stress. Raising our kids in less than ideal circumstances is already pretty difficult. And then when you think about all the things that you're healing from in front of your children, whether that's a divorce or a death or just things maybe from your younger years that you're having to kind of work through and process now, that's really challenging. And I know for myself, when I have to take those times away and say, guys, I need to go lay down because I'm feeling like the worst part of me is about to come out, I just can't stand the fact that that's the version of me that my kids are getting to see. If this is you, and I'm sure it possibly is, you're going to be really encouraged by my conversation today. Today I'm talking with Tammy Daughtry from Co-Parenting International. And Tammy talks about all of the real things that we're struggling with and how to tackle them in really strategic ways. You know, it's not possible for us to be everything for our kids. And the more that we can involve our children's father and other role models, whether it's grandparents or aunts and uncles, there are ways that we can strategically build a community around our kids, reduce some of the anxiety and the stress that they're dealing with, and help them to move through life in a way that still allows them to be kids. Co-parenting can be really challenging, especially if you are involving an ex-spouse or your kid's biological father. There may be some tension there. There may be some unresolved issues. And Tammy brings forward just some excellent strategies to reduce all of that to make it really about the kids. Tammy wrote a really wonderful resource called Co-Parenting Works, and it gives so much hope and inspiration that no matter what your situation, you still have an incredible opportunity to influence your children's lives for the better. That whether or not you're involving your child's other parent, or whether your co-parenting team is full of grandparents and community members and church figures and those types of things, that your kids can gain all that they need to become the individuals that God has for them to be and form incredible relationships with people around them and with God. We talk a little bit about the foundational principles of co-parenting, and then we go into some really specific details. So you might find it helpful to share this episode with those people on your co-parenting team to help them get a little bit of a similar foundation. Before I launch into the conversation with Tammy, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling on your time. You have the ability to schedule video sessions and chat freely with your counselor right through the app. And as we're talking about in this episode, it really does help to have a counselor to process different emotional things, different parenting things even, so that 
I can be more available for my kids. And if you go right now to getfaithful.com slash single mom, you can actually get 10% off of your first month of counseling. It truly is worth the time and the investment in yourself. So make sure that you check out Faithful Counseling. So I'd like to give you a little background on Tammy Daughtry. Tammy holds a master's in marriage and family therapy and is the founder of Co-Parenting International. She is a native of Denver, Colorado, and she has a personal passion for children impacted by divorce and remarriage. She launched Co-Parenting International in 2004 to help divorced parents raise healthy kids. She's a national author of Co-Parenting Works, Helping Your Children Thrive After Divorce, and has extensive media experience with radio, television, and professional seminars on the matter of co-parenting and its impact on children. To tell you about her personal life, Tammy was divorced and was a single mom for many years and been a co-parent raising a daughter between two homes since 2001. She remarried in 2009 and is now happily raising a blended family that she says is her pride and joy. Tammy is so deeply vested in serving her community as well as traveling around the country, advocating for healthy co-parenting, and I can just tell you she is a super inspirational woman. Tammy is such a light, and we just had a great time laughing and talking and crying during those conversations, so I pray that you'll be really encouraged by it. So with that, here is my conversation with Tammy Daughtry. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really fun to have you in the studio, too. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, and this is such a fun space. I wish everybody could see it in person. I know. (laughs) I have to get some pictures on Instagram or something like that. Oh, fabulous. I'm so thrilled that you're here because... Co-parenting is an issue that I hear a lot about from women Mm. and how to do it the right way. It's things that I often am looking at going, Mm. am I even doing this the right way? And I found that co-parenting works has so many extremely practical resources Mm. and addresses subjects that are hard, but also situations that are not always ideal and Mm -hmm. that you encourage us to take what's in that book but also to customize it to our situation. Absolutely. One of my favorite things is that at the very opening of the book, there's an interesting exercise in there. And it's for us to actually reflect on what our most poignant memories are, positive or negative, from Mm -hmm. our own childhoods. Mm. And that we would do that to understand the level of influence that we have over our kids who are still forming their memories right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to start, though, with the acronym TEAM, and Mm -hmm. what the TEAM approach to co-parenting is all about. Sure. Well, and I actually put two M's in the word TEAM. Um, It stands for the end adult matters most. And the hope in that is to not always just focus on the immediate and the right now, but how are our decisions, our influence, our words, what, what is that going to do to help or hurt our kids as they launch as a young adult, sometimes in co-parenting. And and it is relevant. We have to deal with the right now, the today, tomorrow, the next week. But sometimes co-parents get stuck on some things and they lose track of the big picture, you know, that that usually at least one thing they can agree on is they want to launch amazing young adults one day. We we want to have a child or children who grow up as whole as possible, even in a complicated family. And so the team approach isn't just sitting down with the other partner, but it's as an individual, having the mentality that everything I do and say as a mom, 
um, it will influence my children. And that is the one thing I can control. I can't control the other person. I can't mm-hmm. control their, um, you know, their behaviors, what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. But what can I do to be a great mom now, but to think about how do my decisions and my influence inf- affect them when they launch when they're 18? What will they think when they look back when they're 20, when they're 25, when they're 30? You know, what are they going to remember about me as mom? And that's the part that the good news is we can do a great job even if the other party isn't involved or makes it really, really difficult. And I know we'll get to those topics later, but that was kind of the vision for that with um, myself and with my daughter's father. Uh, We've been co-parenting. She's 21 in December. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) But we divided when she was one. So, you know, 20 years of a co-parent journey. I've been in this as a mom. Uh, she gained a stepmom when she was five and a stepdad when she was nine. And I know, again, we'll get into some of those things. We could talk for three hours. Yeah. But, um, but all along, and especially when I was single, I wanted to th- always think about what are my patterns of behavior? What are my examples? How am I walking my life out in front of her so that when she launches as a young adult, she's going to have the best of me and the most stable childhood possible. So the team approach is, yes, ideally having some alignment and cooperation with two parents that love the same children, even when they're not together, and remembering that the long view is what we're after because kids are going to carry their story forward. You know, they'll have a story about mom, they'll have a story about dad, and some of that will overlap, but a lot of it will be separate. And so um, it's important to think about that because I think sometimes, and gosh, Michelle, for me in the beginning, I remember sitting at my own kitchen table just thinking there was no hope right? I'm, a, I'm about to walk around with a D on my forehead. My life is over. Mm-hmm. There's no hope. And I truly thought I was going to be, um, <laughs> in a sense, cast aside and forgotten. You know, what, right. what could I even do as a divorced mom that would make a difference? Um, because my mom was divorced several times growing up. Mm-hmm. So my number one goal, I was the first Christian, first valedictorian, uh, first to go to college, a lot of things in my family. Um, and yet here I was at the fork in the road becoming a divorced mom. And the, the one thing I didn't ever want to do was go that pathway. And so I didn't see a lot of hope in the beginning. But I can say 20 years down the road, there is hope. And God loves us and he'll walk with us and he will, he will go before us and all around us in all the hard situations. So um, the, the long view is um, what are we doing to help our kids have a great life as they launch one day? So that's the vision behind the end adult matters most. I love the long view too, because we find ourselves oftentimes when we are in those frustrating situations, co-parenting with someone that we couldn't have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your book addresses that, that now you have to raise kids with somebody that you couldn't do life with, Right. that it helps us to get out of those emotional moments, get out of those personal conflicts and really emphasize what is in my child's best interest. Mm -hmm. It just helps us to look at things in such a way that's picking our battles, choosing to extract ourselves from the situation and handle things in a slower, more measured approach. Mm -hmm. And I have found that that is just so essential to shield my kids from any continuing conflict that may go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and trying to compartmentalize it. Um, you know, that's one thing I, um, I always say in there in the book and anytime I'm talking to women, we've got to have what I call three, 3 3am friends, somebody we can talk to be unraveled, be undone. 
our go-to people who will help us when it's really hard so that we don't lean into our kids and we don't tell them too much, mm. that we are able to be our best self for them, for their best interest, and yet still have safe people to talk to and to process. Because, you know, going through a divorce, even if you're the one who decided you wanted to leave, it's still hard. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, the emotional punch in the gut that happens once in a while, you know, when you just feel like, oh, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Yeah. You know, our hope for our kids and our family is that we would grow up whole and healthy and have the white picket fence, right? Nobody grows up and wants to get divorced. Right. It's I not our fairy that. tale. No, no one says on their wedding day, oh, I hope this ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think it's important to have those go-to people so that um, we can, you know, bring our very best self to our kids and that they can recognize and we can give them the freedom really to just be kids, whatever age and stage of life they're in. And we handle adult stuff separately, compartmentalized with our friends, with a counselor, with a small group. You know, thankfully, people like you are doing a great job bringing these topics up just, you know, for somebody who can listen to this in the privacy of their home and, and know that there is hope and that they're not alone. Because these, these are hard emotional things to process, and we can get triggered quite often <laughs> with that person yeah. who knows us well, who we have a history with, and it's hard to, sometimes it's, it's hard to focus on the parenting because we get triggered by the personal. And so I always try to say to folks, you know, whatever you can do to focus on being a parenting team and leave the personal and the past out. Um, but we're not robots. You know, yeah. we, we do come hardwired, especially women, with tons of emotion and tons of um, nurture and love. And if we've either been betrayed or we've had trust broken with that co-parent, it is very difficult to yes. shift immediately into a business mentality of raising kids. It takes time. So that's where our friends, our counselor, our church, um, some people who can come alongside and help us stay stable, um, that's, that's a big part of, I know at least for me, <laughs> that helped me get through the first couple years and not turn to my daughter um, to be my, my counselor, or my confidant, because we don't want to do that to our kids. I think hope is such the essential core of your message as well, because one of the things I really enjoyed in the book, it talk, you have a, I'll read a direct quote, it says the negative statistics involving the children of divorce aren't predictions. They're simply the measurement of how poorly many, not all, parents have responded to the needs of children of divorce. And I think that is the first thing that when you walk into a divorce type situation that you automatically, as you said, even having a D on your head, but now you're very nervous about what does this mean for my kids long-term? Have I now damaged them to mm -hmm. the extent that they're goners, you know, mm -hmm. and that creates a lot of guilt, a lot of shame and often makes us not parent correctly because we're either afraid or we're overcompensating and these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But that if we really do keep our kids needs first and foremost, and we equip ourselves and we already know the Lord's equipped us. He equipped us the day that he gave us those kids, you know, yes, in, amen. in, in raising them. And so when we realize that, but we also seek to understand our kids' needs and we seek mm -hmm. to be equipped that we can do this yes. and there is hope. Oh, there is so hope. So can you talk about, you know, what are some of those measures that we do need to make sure we have in place to make sure that we're accurately assessing and addressing our kids' needs? Sure. Well, one of the um, great tools, I see research as a great way to um, have important information that then we can try to apply um, 
or, or proactively um, understand. So here's an example. When I was in grad school, I found this research called The Six Risks for Kids of Divorce. And as I read through it, um, as you said, it's not a predictor or a, a curse, so to say, but it's here are six things that can put a child at risk. And it's, it's like anything, um, you know, whether it's cancer, whether it's COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we know that there's an illness or there's a problem, but we can get ahead of it and know what caused it, then we can help cure it. And so when I saw this list of six things, I was so elated because I thought, oh, if I can look at that and really be sure I'm proactively protecting my daughter from those six risks, then maybe she's going to be okay. Because every mom, every dad wonders, you know, the, the ones that are really thinking about how does this impact our kids, they really do. They wonder, have, have we damaged them? And the good news is no. You know, sometimes actually kids are better off, mm-hmm. crazy as that sounds, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they may be better off if mom and dad are divided be, depending on what the patterns of behavior are in that marriage. And so however a person gets there, um, the hope is let's, let's look at some measuring tools and see what is it I can do again, hopefully with my co-parent on board, but if not, at least one person knowing here are some things to look out for. So one of the things in the six risks is interparental conflict. That's a huge factor that can put children at risk after divorce and it's pretty common right people Mm -hmm. don't end up divorced because they like each other and get along (laughs) there's stuff there Mm -hmm. and so you know that's a tough one to try to figure out how do we minimize the conflict and yet continue to communicate and parent and so some of the ideas that we've we've helped uh, families with are things like having a co-parent meeting or a conference call instead of talking about those things at a handoff. Because if we think about a handoff, a child, depending how old they are when they go through um, their parents uh, dividing, they may have five, 600 handoffs in their mm-hmm. childhood. Mm-hmm. And anything you do five or 600 times that creates a deep pattern in a child, right? Whether it's, you know, they're dancing and learning ballet or they're learning an instrument, they're doing something repetitively. Well, if mom and dad do an exchange or a handoff, child exchange, whatever people call it, and they stand in the parking lot and argue for an hour, or they stand outside while the kids wait inside and argue, or the children witness the, um, the facial expressions of hatred, mm. Those kinds of patterns in a handoff hundreds and hundreds of times, that all by itself creates anxiety in kids because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, children usually feel deeply connected to mom and dad. You two are the superheroes of your children's lives. And even if they can understand some of the reasons you're dividing, there's a core longing to have those two super, superheroes together. Yeah. And so any time and space that you're around each other with a child present, it is so critical to not allow the conflict to erupt and, and to spill over into the children's experience. So one of the things I knew um, going back to trying to keep that conflict away from Angelia was I grew up in a divorced family. And I'll be honest, one of the hardest times of every month, and it happened several times a month on a drop-off and a pickup, my parents did not do a good job of the handoff. And the sad thing is they didn't know what they didn't know, yeah. right? And there weren't tools back then. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty old. So there weren't a lot of tools, if anything, helping them navigate that road. And so I know if just one thing could have changed in my childhood, 
and they made a conscious decision to not have co-parent business discussions at the handoff, but instead to talk by the phone or to talk in, you know, and meet it, meet for coffee or do it some way, some place away from me. That one decision could have changed a huge part of the pain in my life. And so when we think about that research that says, you know, the interparental conflict, it puts kids at risk. We want to think through the landscape of our life and say, okay, where is it that our children still observe us together? And what can we do, or at least what can I do, to minimize that conflict as much as possible and to keep them a, a, you know, away from it? And I think, you know, again, 20 years ago, when I said to my, my daughter's dad, I said, John, could we make a promise that we're never going to talk about co-parent business at the handoff? Just not, not at all. Not a little bit, not a lot nothing. Could we find a time and space to meet privately, to talk by phone, just to protect that experience for Angelia so that it wasn't a source of of anxiety and fear for her? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because, you know, any parent who's gone through a divorce, we have this, what feels like a 20-page document called a parenting plan, right? Right. And John was like, well, I don't know what we'll have to talk about because it's all in the plan. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, mostly there'll be a lot in the plan, but there's a lot you still have to talk about. And I knew from growing up in a divided family that that would potentially be a real trigger and a difficult thing to do is to talk about parenting experiences. And I didn't want our daughter around like I had witnessed as a kid. And so thankfully, John said, sure, let's never talk about co-parent business at the handoff. And for 20 years, which, you know, we haven't exchanged her since she had her own car, because once she got a car at 16, she pretty much drives back and forth. But for all of those years leading up, we held true to that promise. And so I think that saved her level of anxiety probably 90% by not um, her not witnessing us argue. Because we did argue at our co-parent meetings. We mm-hmm. did argue on our conference calls. We had very different opinions. We both loved the same daughter, both had a lot of similar values, but we still did not see eye to eye a lot of times. But Angelia was, was shielded from that. We chose not to do that at the handoff. And so... That's a long rabbit trail to come back to the research, and that is that, you know, trying to minimize conflict between parents is so helpful to kids. And then one of the others of the six that's important is what can put a child at risk is a parent not knowing what to do. You know, in uh, they, they say something about being, you know, incompetent or something, and I giggle because we're all incompetent mm. when we're parenting, right? We're trying to stay ahead of the curve, figure out what to do next. But sometimes when we're a single parent, we may not know know what to do, and we may get a little lax on the boundaries or the yes. the guidelines because yep. we feel bad for right. what our kids have been through. Mm-hmm. So one of the important things there, if you can align with your co-parent and increase um, the communication about parenting and really be a team, and if a kid's in trouble as a teenager at mom's, he ought to be in trouble at dad's too. If he's Um, If a girl's struggling with school or getting herself in trouble and both parents come together and and let that child know that, hey, we're in this with you, we're going to help you, but we're going to have boundaries, that's ideal. Now, of course, a lot of times you don't have that. So to the single parent who feels like, oh, I I feel bad, I don't want to you know, give them consequences. I don't want to make them have chores. I don't want to have them do these things because they've already been through a lot. One of the big things in parenting is, you know, our job isn't to be our kid's friend. Right. And we've got to remember that, especially the first year or two after a divorce when we're, when everybody's hurting and trying to figure out the new norm. 
kids still need boundaries. They still need homework to get that homework done. They've got to be told no. And part of that, you know, being a parent isn't being their friend. It's being their parent and really trying to help them have the tools to navigate and not just um, get off easy, right? Because mom and dad went through this tough thing. So those are a couple touch points that, um, and I think that's, I think that's on our website, but if not, I'm happy to share it with you, or if people want to email, I'll be happy. I have a cool handout that's those six risks and then ideas on how to counteract those six risks so you can protect your child, even if it's just one of you. Oh, that's a, that sounds like a tremendous resource. We'll have to get that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to break in here and share with you about Agape Mom's new resource series called the Healing After Heartbreak series. As we're talking about in this conversation, oftentimes we're having to deal with extremely difficult issues around heartbreak and loneliness right in front of our kids. And that can be whether a relationship ended from a divorce or a death. However it is that you became a single mom, it's not easy to go through these things, especially in front of your children. And so I've developed resources to help you do that. The first step is the seven loneliness traps. That's a free guide that you can download today at agapemoms.com slash free. And you can learn about seven traps that keep us feeling lonely and sad and held back in our lives. You can first discover what those loneliness traps are that are holding you back, and then also the seven ways out of them. While you're there downloading that free guide, you can also have a look at the eight lesson Bible study and the video course that go along with the Healing After Heartbreak series. God sees you and he has a tremendous future ahead for you. So to have a look at all of these resources and get that free copy of The Seven Loneliness Traps, head over to agapemoms.com slash free. You mentioned protecting our kids from anxiety too in that that is part of not only the way that we parent with this other person, but it's also part of our healing process as Mm. well that sometimes the way that we're, especially, and I love that your book said this, that those first two years, really to just take that time to heal, you're not going to get it all right. You are going to do some probably weird things or you're you're just not going to parent as well as you know you could because you're just getting used to, as you said, new normal. And I think first part of that is give yourself some grace, right? And realize Mm -hmm. that that's happening. But then the second part is how can, as I continue to move on with my life, protect my kids from some of that anxiety. And you did mention having other people that you Mm -hmm. can have as counsel so that you're not going to your kids and that you're not putting them into the slot of where that parent who is not in the picture anymore was. Mm -hmm. I love that you detail your daughter's first Christmas where she was being handed off and you were going to be alone. Yeah. (laughs) And you said that you were able to actually respond in joy to her leaving because you made a very specific choice mm-hmm. in that time frame to not make her the center of your world and yeah. I think a lot of us go through a period of time where we like we've talked about feel so guilty and so bad for our kids that they're in this situation that we may overdo it and kind of mm. try to please them and go loose on the boundaries and you know or, or buy or, too many gifts right or whatever <laughs> you know would just whatever way that we react yeah. we're, we're that we kind of lose ourselves for a moment and in in that role where we're supposed to be because we're sort of got this gaping hole now and we want to fill it for ourselves too. And so, but so talk about in that conscious choice and not make her the center of your world, what that looked like, 
how that changed your experience when she was going away? Because it's not easy. Mm. I still have that. Whereas my oh. kids go off for a week and I'm like a ball of tears for a half hour. Absolutely. Yeah. Trust <laughs> you know? me. Well, and your listeners can't see me, but I teared up immediately when you mentioned that. And that was, gosh, 18 years ago. Mm. And I do remember, you know, when we didn't split Christmas down the middle on Christmas Eve. So for our parenting plan, because we had all of the grandparents out of state, we put uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day together. And it's about a seven, it was a seven to nine day window. One parent would get that. And then, um, of course, you know, the other parent got Thanksgiving that year. And then New Year's would come around. And so we had this big rotation of chunks of time. So I do remember the first time she was leaving for her like nine day window, you know, for Christmas to go to Georgia. And, um, you know, the good news is I, I knew her grandparent, I, you know, grandma, Betty, um, all that extended family. I could honestly think about her experience there and know that she was going to have a great time. And so that was good for my heart and good for my soul to know that she was going to be with people that loved her and that didn't have to be me. It didn't have to be me on Christmas morning. It didn't have to be me um, all the time. And that's a hard thing. And, and I'll say, honestly, Michelle, growing up, at least half the goodbyes with my mom were met with tears. Mm. And I remember going to see my dad and watching her cry when I left. And it broke my heart, you know, and I would, I never felt free to leave her and to mm. go enjoy my dad because I was too worried about mom. And, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. And I remember getting to my dad's and the first thing was, oh, I got to call my mom and let her know we made it. That was my cover-up, you know, mm -hmm. message because I really wanted to check on her and see if she's okay. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I can remember calling as, as young as five, six years old. Hey, Mom, we made it. Oh, okay. I said, are you okay? And I, I, if I had a dollar for it, how many times I asked her if she, if she was okay. Now, again, zooming out, if she had more tools, if she had more insight, if she'd had more support, I know she could have done a healthier job of that. She wasn't trying to make me feel bad, right. but I can tell you the, the burden of feeling like I am responsible for my parents' happiness, whew, that is a huge burden on, on children. And so having grown up around that heavy emotion, guilt, sadness, feeling like you know I could never go and, and have the freedom to enjoy my dad, um, and then heck, when I came home, then it was, you know, I couldn't tell her I had fun with my dad because then she'd tell me everything he did, you know, years earlier in their relationship. And so I was caught. I was caught in this emotional, um, paralyzing place of honestly having all my life to worry about taking care of mom and her um, instability with her emotion. And so having been through that, when I became a single mom, <laughs> I made a promise to myself, she's never going to see me cry at goodbye. I, I'm not going to do that to her. I will do it different. And so that was a huge catalyst for me to to give her emotional freedom to go and to have fun with her dad. And, you know, I remember, you know, even before that first Christmas, I mean, the the I wrote a poem called The Three-Day Goodbye. And I found it recently. I was cleaning out an old office and transferring files, and, and I showed it to her. And we both read it, and we both cried because um, it was a constant, you know, uh, transition of goodbye. And that's something as a co-parent, oh, we've got to do a good job of it. Because at the end of the day, the two things our kids need to know is that we're okay. Because if we're okay, 
that gives them courage to know they're okay. Yes. And we also, I believe, need to look for creative ways to communicate to them that there is, um, not in a rude way, but that there is more to our life than just being their parent. Yes. And so that, that first Christmas, I knew there'd be that long uh, time I'd be alone. I was a very poor single mom. I was in a rented duplex. I didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't you know, take a trip to Hawaii or anything fun. But I looked at the calendar ahead of her leaving, and I literally made a fun plan. And so I had something meaningful to do every day that she was away. Now, it wasn't extravagant. I think I went down to the homeless shelter, and I fed you know, uh, other families for a day. I went to the dollar movies back when there were dollar movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I opened my home that Christmas to other uh, single parents and other families in the community that didn't have any family to gather. And we ended up, and that became a new tradition that I did every year I was alone. I would just um, open my home to other people. Now, and I'm not a good cook, Michelle, so it was a good way to have a great meal um, <laughs> because I provided ice and paper plates and, you know, the drinks, and everybody would bring the amazing food. But um, I tried to do things so I knew my alone time would be productive so that when she came back, she was coming back to a stable mom, not a mom who had been depressed and laid on the couch for 10 days. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, that that's a horrible thing, mm-hmm. you know, if you have to, to feel those feelings, especially those first couple of years, that's absolutely normal. Just be very, very, very intentional at the goodbye that you send your children off with joy and with your emotional permission to enjoy their other family. Even if you've got concerns, you know, and I will say a little caveat, if you're ever worried that there's physical safety issues or, you know, serious concerns, well, we want to look into that. That's another topic. Um, But in general, that goodbye, as a mom, if we can do a good job of that and hold that emotion in, have a a girlfriend to call as soon as we walk in the door, um, or have somebody come over and have a plan, you know, waiting for us to go and, and have a good time as they, you know, drive away, that will give our children uh, stability and freedom, and they'll grow up, thankfully, uh, my daughter's story isn't that I cried every time you know she left or that she felt guilty for going to her dad. She's never felt that. And so I couldn't give her lifelong marriage, which was plan A. Yeah. But plan B was the freedom to love her dad and that I was okay. And, and last little funny thing I'll say, she called, I don't know, eight, nine years old one time, um, and it was one of those Christmas experiences. I had a house full of people. She's like, who's there? It's so noisy. And I told her some of the people that were there. And she's like, you're having fun without me? (laughs) And I said, well, honey, I love you. And I think about you and I miss you every day that you're away, but I know you're having a good time with your dad. And yeah, I've got people here and we're eating together and playing games, you know, and she came back after that trip. And I remember her, her walking in and that little hand on the hip, you know, and she looks at me, so what else do you do when I'm not here? Mm. You know, she wanted to know, like, what am I missing out on? Because she's one of those fun people who just doesn't want to miss the fun. Yeah. And I thought, I hope that this will be something that carries her forward in a way that she knows I'm okay, right? Mom's okay. And I told her, I said, you know, I do things with other people. I love you. I think about you every day. But when you're with your dad, I want you to have fun. You don't have to worry about mom. So I... I worked hard at that, Michelle. And if I hadn't grown up with the complicated emotions as as my childhood held, I probably wouldn't have done such a good job. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known how hard it would be on her 
and and I know some parents they really mean well when they say, "Oh, I'm going to miss you so much." And what I would encourage parents to do instead of that phrase, say, "I will look forward to seeing you when you get back. Mm-hmm. Have a good time, and I can't wait to see you when you get home." Taking that, "Oh, I'm going to miss you so much," out, I think is important because it helps communicate to kids it's okay to go I'm okay I'll be right here when you get back Mm, that's so good and I love the role modeling in that of having your own plan of how you're gonna invest in your time and it lets them know that they because we're we're all on a mission to launch them eventually you know that they are eventually going to leave the nest and that we can role model that even as they're kind of coming and going now and that I have other relationships and other places that I'm connected to, places that I serve, and just that investment into yourself that is good for them to learn for their own launching and their own adulthood. Yes. I found, I did the same thing. So my kids went on a summer vacation with Mm -hmm. their dad Mm -hmm. and I had my cousin at the house. So it helped me from getting like too emotional because there was another adult present and helping me to you know, get, make sure they had all the backpacks and everything that they needed. Mm -hmm. And she and I immediately after they left already had planned, booked a trip, (laughs) (laughs) just, just a weekend in Louisville. It was not far, but it was something that I could look forward to so that when they left, she was there to hug me and let me cry for about, you know, 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. And then we were off and we had something that we were doing and it really, it was fun because they were going to, a certain city that they hadn't been to before. And here I was going to a city I hadn't been to before. So we were looking forward to already going and having fun and coming back and talking about what we saw. And I told them, take a bunch of pictures and I'm going to take a bunch of pictures and we'll all share them. And that just gave everybody a mission, helped them to focus on where they were going, helped me to focus on where I was going. And it just made that handoff so much smoother. Yes. And that is oh, good for you, Michelle. What a gift to your kids. And, and I'll say, you know, on the long view with a daughter who's almost 21, you know, I wave goodbye when she leaves for college and I still have an ache in my soul. I love that girl and I do miss her. So the goodbye is just, um, it's a reality in life. And so I would say, uh, to not feel bad if, if it hurts, if you physically ache when you say goodbye, Mm -hmm. but having a protective plan for their sake. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting now I would say her, see, she's a junior now, her sophomore year. Um, you know, we always go down and move her in, you know, so there's, we're kind of there and we're leaving her instead of her leaving us. Um, that's a little easier, (laughs) but then when she comes home in the middle of a semester and then she's driving away, right. I still, to this day, go on the front porch and I wave until she's around the corner Um, we've got grandkids, we've got a lot of, you know, crazy big old family. Now the whole family's on the front porch waving and, um, and all of her childhood, that was our protocol. You know, when Angelia is leaving, whoever's home, we're all on the porch and we're waving goodbye and we're making our crazy, um, crazy, um, wave. Sometimes we bring stuffed animals out, you know, or whatever. We try to make it fun. So, uh, years ago, her dad would pick her up. And once I remarried and had all these other humans in the world, you know, with me, we're on the porch waving and making it happy. Mm-hmm. And now as she goes to college, you know, we still wave goodbye. Mm-hmm. But when we do a good job and we keep our hands open, 
palms up and hands open and we're not holding on so tight, the beautiful thing is that they come back and they want to come back. Um, when they don't feel guilty, they don't feel overly uh, responsible for the, the process, and they know that those adults are being the adult and I get to be the kid. Yeah. So it's a, um, I don't know, the heart of a mom, <laughs> we physically, I physically feel it still when I wave goodbye. Um, but I do it with joy and I do it with a little zaniness too. Parenting in less than ideal circumstances does not mean that our kids are doomed. I love how Tammy's message just emphasizes the hope in our situations and that we have the ability to continue to influence and impact our kids regardless of what we might be facing. That it's not too late. Whether we've got kids on the teenager end or the toddler end, there's still time for us to build community around them. And this is not all. My conversation with Tammy was so incredible that I actually decided to split it up into two episodes. So in the next episode, we're going to talk more in detail about how you actually can go about creating a co-parenting team and then how to navigate some situations that might be a little bit awkward or bumpy, especially when it comes to involving potential step-parents or situations where the other parent might not be the most involved or healthy. I'll be launching that episode next week, so you want to take a look for that. In the meantime, I'd love for you to follow along over on Facebook or Instagram at Agape Moms. And if you would, leave a review for this podcast. Your likes, your shares, your follows, your reviews, your subscriptions, all of those things help other women to be brought into this sisterhood to receive the help that they need. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for just sharing your hearts with me as I see it on social, as I see it through emails and those types of things. It keeps me going, but it certainly helps other women to see that they're not alone. I'm so thankful that you were able to join in with me in this conversation today, and I look forward to having you with me next time.